As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Whoa, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Stop right there. Guys, we're reaching our one-year anniversary for the Game Changer, and as much as I love the X-Men animated series, we can't just keep relying on this theme song for so long. So without further ado, guys, one-year anniversary starting this month. It is indeed the Game Changer. Here's the new theme. Enjoy it, and we'll talk to you guys in just a bit. That is what I'm talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of the Game Changer. It is our one-year anniversary. It is indeed, indeed time to change the game. So much happening, you guys. I've already made a couple of announcements on my personal Facebook fan page. For those of you that don't know me right now, for the last year I've made the introduction. And once again, I'll do it. I am Nate the Effing Great, and I'm being joined here by the one, the only... Today, she's a little bit known as the sleeping beauty of the show, and that is indeed Miss Victory Bell. <laughs> That's hilarious. Thank you very much. Um, yes, how are you doing? I am doing as peachy and as wonderful as can be. And <laughs> after, after everything you've told me that's happened in the last, what has it been, like 12 hours, I can honestly say that I can understand why you're still a little bit restless, but needless to say, it's one of those things where it's like, you kind of did bring it on yourself. I mean, laundry at midnight, and then decide, you know what, while this is going on, let's watch some murder documentaries. Okay, we're going to be doing this. Okay, let's just take get some rest. Okay, murder number one, back to sleep, murder number two, this time with multiple personalities. 
is this a preview of what's going on today? More than likely. <laughs> did I miss? Yeah. Did I miss anything? I'm not, I'm not allowed to watch documentaries about murderers anymore. I got to stick with the animal one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so checklist here: scary movies, nope. Murder documentaries, nope. Uh, Criminal Minds, question mark. I, I watch that, and that's. I don't necessarily like it though because it's so like negative. Well, I there's got to be those series that have the negativeness to it. And I want to also say, as a side note, a lot of people might notice that sometimes we have issues with Skype. Uh, I don't know what the connection issue is, but I did notice last night when I immediately turned on the news, I see two people basically just talking. And in the top right corner of one of the guys' screen, I saw it said Skype run out. And literally all I thought to myself was, oh, great. So basically, in order for us to have Skype to work, we need to talk about negative stuff. So, okay, Skype, you win. Let's start off with the negative, shall we? Movie Pass may be going bankrupt. This was a shock to me when my co-host, Victory Bell, she brought this up to me, and I'm like, wait, what? This literally felt like it just started, and literally so many people are enjoying it. And then as soon as I read the reports about them going from, I think they were making quite a few million dollars uh, last year. Then they had their quarterlies come out. They've been losing a lot of money. Uh, their stocks went from like 32 bucks to about 20, maybe 10 cents. And they're trying so hard to actually sell these stocks and nobody's buying them. So literally they're reaching a point where they're in the redlined deal and it's not a good thing, and I really hate to see that because MoviePass is so popular, especially with so many people. It gives us a reason to go see movies again. But I think somebody actually kind of put it in an example that made a lot of sense. It's kind of, with MoviePass, it's one of those situations where if you're paying somebody $10 and they're giving you $15 back, obviously the person that paid you the $15 back is going to start getting into some debts. And I understand that because people who are using MoviePass, they're paying $10 for movie tickets that can cost about like $11, $13.50, wherever you're usually from. They're, movie tickets are not cheap anymore, and that sucks. And especially when you go uh, post-matinee, you definitely notice it goes from like, I think, $8 to like $11. So a lot of people rely on MoviePass where they're saying, okay, we're going to see like a free movie like every day. It's totally fine. But obviously it sucks because they're losing money because they still have to pay the movie theaters money for the tickets that they're basically selling. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got into the whole MoviePass thing. I have have MoviePass, but it's just been going... the reason I got it was because it was such a good deal, and I would hope that the company made some sort of deal with the theaters, like, you know, like, hey, we're going to do movies at this price, this is at the price we need the tickets, and then you get people in your theaters who will buy popcorn and drinks, um, and that's kind of what I was thinking their deal was. And then they started taking away things. You can't go see some of the newer movies. You can't go see movies at certain times. You can't go to new releases. Like, it's just not worth it anymore. And after hearing that they're kind of going down the tube, it's like, yeah, well, 
I'm going to cancel my subscription because if I'm not allowed, if I can't go see the new movies I want to go see, it's not worth it for me. Yeah. And it also kind of sucks because they also have competition with so many other movie theaters that are starting to pick up on, you know, hey, this is working out pretty well. Let's actually start taking advantage of that. I think AMC has this deal where you pay them like $20 a month and not only do you get, I think, free movie passes, but you also get a certain amount of concession, uh, dollar amount concessions off. I know for me, I work with, um, I go through Marcus Theater and they have the Magical Movie Rewards Program, which basically states that, you know, you can use this card to, on uh, purchases when you do tickets, when you do concessions, and the points will build up, and once you reach 100, you would get a $5 credit on it, but also it helps you for um, movies on Tuesday, where you would get free popcorn, uh, uh, half off in concessions, stuff like that, and... Obviously, you know, MoviePass, they can only deliver so much. And like you said, with them now setting limitations, that's hurting them even more. And it sucks, but at the same time, I think that's out of their control. I think that the theaters are realizing we're kind of losing money with MoviePass, so now we have to set these limitations. Yeah, I could see the theaters being like, okay, wait, this isn't working out in our favor anymore, and then hurting the other company, which it. You know, it's all about money, so we get it. Um, I definitely, I was okay with having to pay extra when it was, like, the IMAX theater or something. Like, I'd have to pay, like, $2 extra. Um, But I'm not okay with not being allowed to go see, like, the new Christopher Robin movie this week because it's too new. Like, what? Like, no, that's not cool anymore. Because I've had movie pass now all July, and I don't know if I used it because there wasn't a movie I personally wanted to go see. And now, like, okay, the first one is, like, Christopher Robin. And I'm like, okay, I want to go see that one. I'm excited. Finally going to go use my movie pass. And nope, I'm not allowed to go do it. So it's most likely going to get canceled. And I'll just go on $5 Tuesdays. <laughs> well, that's not a bad thing. And we'll see what happens, and maybe we'll touch base on it more when developments come out. Obviously, like I said, the CEO and everybody, they're trying to just scramble to try to get more people to buy the shares at least, so that way they can at least you know, get some money to last. But something tells you that they're probably not going to make it to the end of the year. I mean, with, yeah. with the with the with everything that's dropping, I think another thing that hurts them is the fact that a lot of the movie, um, uh, uh, what what is it? Members that they have, they pay with credit. So with that credit amount, obviously you can't get it until a certain time, until you know everything is approved, everything is good to go. So where some people are paying you know, with debit, obviously they're getting the cash right away with credit. They have to wait a while for them to actually get that monetary deal. So it sucks for them, but that's kind of the way that business works, unfortunately. But like I said, we'll touch base on this every now and then. If we reach the point where it's basically they're going bankrupt, we'll talk about it on the show. Um, It kind of really sucks because we just had the whole Toys R Us going bankrupt deal. And now we got MoviePass going bankrupt. It's like, man, we can't just have anything good anymore. Just come on. But we, 
not exactly the best segue, but it's a very interesting segue because what we mainly want to talk about in this episode is the man, the myth, the director, I would definitely call him a directing legend known as M. Night Shyamalan. And honestly, I want to kind of pull up a couple things here. Um, he was actually born in uh, uh, Mahi Pucheria, India, but he actually resides in uh, Wils- uh, Wils- Willistown, Pennsylvania. First of all, I'm going to say this. I'm not a fan of him just because of the fact that he moved from a really awesome name in, in uh, of a town in India to a place called Willistown in Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, but Willistown doesn't really seem all that all that cool. That's just my that's just uh, that's just a personal preference. I don't want anybody say, saying that. Hey, you're basically hating on him because of the he because the city that he chose. I I don't hate him because of that. I'm just saying, Shyamalan, you're not really buying me any favors with just saying, hey, I'm from Willistown. Wow. Awesome. Just awesome. But we're actually going to be talking about some of the works that he has done. Actually, if I can actually do a quick count on some of the movies that he's done. He's actually been directing since uh, 1992. And he's directed about, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, about 13 movies roughly and one television series. So he has quite a bit of credentials on his list. And we're going to talk about a couple of his, you know, some of the stuff that he's directed, whether it's a flop or whether it's something really good. Uh, I want to say this as a side note, the fact that he has directed The Last Airbender and he was a part of Stuart Little is honestly mind-blowing to me. And honestly, Shyamalan... Just be thankful that we have not decided on a Last Airbender sequel, because I'm sorry, dude, but not exactly one of your better works, not going to lie. But anyway, so let's talk about some of the things that has indeed made you know Shyamalan either very notable, we'll say. So, Victor Bell, do you want to do you want to lead us in the charge here? Sure, sure. Uh, let's start in Pennsylvania. How ironic. <laughs> Karma just slaps me right in the face. All we here on the Game Changer. <laughs> I heard you talking about it, so I'm like, oh. Okay, <laughs> let's start there. Yeah, um, you, you guys can't see it, but she literally just gave me that look of like, yeah, what now? And she just had the raise of the eyebrows where it's like, ah, crap. I'm, I just, this thing just bit me right in the butt. Great. <laughs> um, so the, the movie I'm going to start with is his 2004 film called The Village. And we picked, I mean, I feel like we picked some of our favorites, but at the same time, I don't know if they're favorites because they're that good or if they're favorites because you're kind of like, okay, I needed to go see this because I needed to figure it out. And now that I figured it out, I'm a little mad at him, but whatever. I, I feel like that's the kind of director he is, though, except with the last Airbender that was just disgusting and awful and I hope they try that again because I really really like the little animation it was so cute so good so well done and then he ruined it um (laughs) weird he's better with his own works (laughs) um but yeah so the village came like I said came out in 2004 and 
basically, I, I like to start off with M. Night Shyamalan reviews with, like, all right, what the trailer looked like. So, basically, the trailer reminded me a little bit of, like, Red Riding Hood. Like, there's a girl, and the people are in this little village in the woods, and it looks like, you know, the old 19th century. There's not a lot of technology. Uh, almost Amish-like, and I believe they are considered Amish. Um, and, like, they're like, oh, no one leaves the village. Like, no one. And then there's, like, this monster, like, and, like, it's leaving blood on doors and stuff. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this little village is surrounded by monsters. That's why people don't leave. And then we get to the real movie. And the real movie is, uh, yeah, it's basically like that, this, this town that seems to be, you know, in the early 19th century, maybe even late. Uh, no, 19th century means 1800. Sorry, gotta, I have to use my history knowledge sometimes and correct myself. So, yes. So, the 19th century is the 1800s, right? Yeah. Yes. So, I'm, I'm, I'm that's what it looks like, the 1800s. Um Amish-like outfits because that's what the 1800s were like. And so it's about this village who is struggling with some disease and stuff, and people are wanting to venture out and look and go see what, what new things are, and the village elders and everyone who's been here doesn't want that to happen. Is basically telling people, no, if you go out, you die. And sure enough, if people leave, they get attacked or they get signs from this, like, porcupine creature in a red cloak. So, like, the red riding hood type of thing. And you're like, oh, oh gosh. Like, it, it is pretty creepy. Um, and then, like, this guy who went out and he had to come back, he gets sick. And it's a little bit of a love story between him and the cheap daughter who she's blind. And so she wants to go to another town to get medicine for him. And finally, like, they kind of let her go, and the chief, like, the, the main guy, one of the main guys tells her, like, there is no such thing as the monster. It is our town people. They're dressed up in costume. Like, they're not real. It's not real. And so she goes out, and she ends up tricking them and getting them into this hole and hurting, hurting the people who are dressing up, and sure enough, it is their own town. And she wants to go and, like, get out. And at the end of the story, it's basically like she's getting out. She's getting out of all the woods. And all of a sudden, she, like, falls onto this road. And, like, you see cars go by, like, today's cars. And she's like, what? And she's freaking out because she's never seen this. They never know. They don't know anything. And the cops come and help her. And basically, they were being held, like, in an Amish cult type of thing that, these people didn't even realize that they were in the, like, it was 2004. And we thought it was the 18th century, and you're like, okay, this is weird. This is a really weird movie. And there's a lot of twists, a lot of craziness. But at the same time, you're like, what did I get from this? I got nothing. <laughs> like, it wasn't like a, like an astounding, you know, like, whoa. It was more like a, what? The monsters weren't real. What? They don't even let, like, all these people are actually kind of cult people and awful. Like, okay, this sucks. 
And what sucks even worse is that the person who gets out is a blind girl and she can't really help anyone. And then it, like, ends. <laughs> I... Yeah. I, I know. I, I I know beforehand. I basically um, before we even started recording, I said said I'll probably go and watch this movie just to see what it's all about. But the way it's just being described to me again is just one of those things where it's like, how is how is this a movie, and why was this even a thing? And well, see, it does the thriller thing. Like it does what M Night Shyamalan. Like why you go see his movies is because there's mystery and thrills, and it's a little scary. It's never like really scary it's more like oh, like you jump or you're like oh my gosh i don't want to when is it gonna happen when is the loud noise coming you know what i mean like okay. it's like a thriller and so it, it did what it was supposed to do i don't know if i have the results on rotten tomatoes or anything for it I don't think it's going to be very high, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I want to also preface this, guys. I should have said this beforehand, but there are going to be spoilers when it comes to these, obviously, because oh, yeah. if, you, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen the movies, then, well, these have been out for almost 18-plus uh, years, so where have, you, where have you been hiding under? I know which rock I've been hiding under because I know I haven't seen some of these movies, but at the same time, there are some of these movies I have gotten the chance to see, so... Thankfully, I haven't been under that rock very long. But, yeah, The Village, I know that a lot of people do, like, parodies and stuff off of this movie just because of the uniqueness to it. I think I do remember, uh, oh, gosh, what was it? I think it was probably, like, Scary Movie 3 or 4 kind of did, like, a parody of that where basically Anna Ferris and her friend, they're basically just run, they're trying to figure out things, and they just run into the Amish community, and people are just like, oh, hey, that's a... Homage to the village. I'm like, wait, what? What exactly is this? Oh, and now, and now after finding out, it's like, okay, this is what the homage is to in that scary movie. That <laughs> the quote unquote. But um, right. it only got a forty three percent. Forty three percent. Well, I mean, we're starting off strong now, aren't we, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> With yeah, forty three. They make a ton of money though, and that's like that's the thing. Like you're gonna go see it. Because you need, like, it looks like a great trailer. The trailer was awesome, you know. And I, I wanted to go see it. Everybody wanted to go see it, even when you figure out, like, oh, it's not that great. But it's the intrigue, and that's what M Night Shyamalan, I feel like, was, especially back in the day, was really known for his intriguing trailers. And it's like, ooh, yeah, okay, I, I want to kind of go see this. It, it looks pretty good. Um. And then at the end, you're like, oh, that was sucky. But you still got my money, sir. You still got my money. <laughs> so, so it's, so it's kind of like one of those movies where, not like what I mentioned before uh, before we started recording, where basically it's like, you know, trailer, looks awesome. Go see movie. What a waste. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm a little disappointed, but at the same time, I'm glad I see, saw it, right? That's what it was, yeah. I think it's more like that. You're like, yes, you're a little disappointed, but you're glad you saw it. Because otherwise, you'll be thinking about it. And when people, like, you don't want people to tell you, like, what happened. You're like, okay, wait, wait, I want to go see the movie. And then you're like, oh, I see what you're talking about. <laughs> like, oh, this is what you mean. But, like, I still think if you like M. Night Shyamalan movies, like, it's one of the better ones. It just doesn't have the cool twist at the end that he's 
Like, yeah, there's some, like, like, you know that you're like, holy cow, I have no idea that was happening. Right. And that's kind of what we're definitely going to be hitting on, the fact is that M. Night Shyamalan is the guy who really tries to make, like, a huge twist to where people will think, like, okay, we know where this is going, but then he just decides, nope, we're going in this direction. It's like, yeah. Oh, okay, then this is new. <laughs> right. So, yeah. all right. I think that we'll start with one that's, uh, for, for on my side, we'll start with one that's a little bit interesting. Definitely one of those movies that we talked about quite a bit uh, last week, but we'll talk a little more in-depth on it this week, and that is being the one of the first installments of the East Tra- uh, the East Rail 177 trilogy, and that being Unbreakable. The, uh, when my co-host told me about this movie, I've been told about it so many times by so many people, and I'm like, okay, now I have to finally watch this and see what it's all about. Honestly, I look at this movie, and for some reason, I kept thinking to myself, this reminds me a lot of the movie Wanted because of a few reasons. So you have a guy... Uh, Bruce Willis's character, who's basically trying to find himself. Same thing with James McAvoy's character. He's trying to basically find himself. You have this uh, very interesting uh, mentor in uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, uh, Eli- uh, Elijah Prince. Obviously, for Wanted, you have Morgan Freeman playing the role of, uh, Slo- uh, I think it was uh, Sloan, I think was his name. Where he's basically showing, like, hey, this is who you are. This is who, you know, you were meant to be. And, you know, as things go along, you definitely see how deep it gets. Now, obviously, it's more towards the end we find out what Prince's, you know, motivations are. He's basically trying to get Bruce Willis's character, David Dunn, to, you know, realize his full potential. And then uh, Dunn finds out at the end that. Prince was the one who organized everything. He organized the the tra- the tra- train incident. He organized everything in there. Basically, he's just say- saying, you know, yeah, I'm kind of the villain, but you're kind of the hero to my villain. We need each other. It was kind of almost like a almost like a Joker uh, Batman deal, where Joker's just saying, like, I don't want to kill you. I don't want to destroy you. If anything, I want to encourage you to stop me. I don't want be gone because without me you're nothing and without you I'm nothing it's literally that kind of mindset it's one of those things where you hear that see that at the end and it's one of those things where it's like okay this is actually really good where obviously with Wanted you see that kind of twist happen in the end where he finds out well the group of assassins that he's working for are actually the bad guys and his dad who he's trying to find is actually the good guy trying to and this, and it's really just absolutely amazing how these two almost basically compare so well. But I will give Unbreakable the edge, where they basically have been saying that this is kind of more of a superhero movie feel, but it's not like a typical movie like you would see with Deadpool or The Avengers or Batman and Superman. It's one of those things where it's more just finding yourself and finding out you know what you're capable of, and during this movie. David Dunn definitely finds out what he's capable of. I mean, he's able to see, you know, people through visions. He's able to bench press, what was it, like 350 pounds? Holy cow. Just absolutely insane how he does this. And 
basically, you know, Samuel Jackson just plays this character so well where he's basically just saying, you know, I want to help you. I want to make you, you know, the best that you can be because I can't really do this unless I have, you know, some kind of competition. And he doesn't make it very obvious at first. It's not until the very end you definitely do see him basically say, saying, you know, yeah, I did all this, like I said, because I needed to find you. And it could have been anybody, but in the end it turned out to be David Dunn. And just the reaction that uh, Bruce Willis has, it's just so remarkable. And it's very good where he basically just is now speechless. And he's just basically like, you know, what have I done? What is going on here? And just, again, seeing basically Prince basically explaining why he did everything. And then we also get the name of Mr. Glass, which, ironically enough does go into the final installment, but we still have one more installment to go through, which we will get through later on in the show. Honestly, very well done. Uh, it had a box office of $248.1 million, and it got a Rotten Tomatoes score of uh, 69%. And even though some people are saying, like, oh, I hate this right here, this one right here, where everybody just says, like, well, with a weaker ending, Unbreakable is not as good as The Sixth Sense, but it is still a suspenseful film, and it's you know engaging, and it talks to the audience at unpredictable twists and turns along the way. It's like, don't compare this movie to another really good movie. I mean, obviously I did that, but I'm just making the comparisons because it's like, okay, these two are very similar, but they still get the same message across. Where it's like, you know, you definitely do find yourself, but you need to determine who are you really going to be. And that's exactly what I think Wanted and Unbreakable really do. But, like I said, Unbreakable does something very different where they're dealing with, you know, superpowers and superheroes. We're wanted. It's just one guy trying to figure out, you know, who he is. And again, what is he going to become? Is he going to be the next victim for the assassin's cult that he's a part of? Or is he going to do something about it and follow in his father's footsteps and realize, these guys are bad. I need to stop them. Sorry, I went on a little bit of a rant there. <laughs> That's really funny. No, I think... I definitely think that they probably compared it to The Sixth Sense because it was Bruce Willis, too, and you're like, okay, oh, calm down. That is true. They all are all the same movie. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. I liked Unbreakable. Like I said, um, I think I said this before, it's a little slow, but I think every single one of these movies are a little slow, and that's what a thriller is to me. Like... You're supposed to build up this suspense of being like, okay, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? What is this? Why is this important? And that's when, that's how you get the reactions that he gets out of a lot of his movies, is that they're a little slow, and you're kind of like lost in all the details, like why why do we care about this? Why does this guy care? Who is this guy in the wheelchair? And then you're like, oh, Interesting. Oh, he caused it all. Wow, thought he was cool. <laughs> he does, It does, it's basically one of those things where they do like a slow layer by layer deal where it's like, you know, okay, it, basically they're giving you the burger. It's like, you know, here's the bun, here's the patty, here's the cheese. And then basically, you know, they keep building up all this, you know, great ingredients to create this movie and then top it off. They say, this is what you get. And like I said, it's absolutely amazing how they did it. And definitely one of the best works for M. Night Shyamalan. Definitely major thumbs up and major props for this movie. 
Uh, it does definitely, in my opinion, point uh, make me paint uh, Samuel Jackson in a different limelight. And it, it is also one of those things where I think a lot of people definitely notice that with a lot of movies, he still plays kind of like the same character. He doesn't really change too much of his voice. But I think that with this one, it definitely does seem like it's different because of you know what he's inspiring uh, David Dunn to do, what his motivations are, and stuff like that. It's definitely a lot different than what I'm used to because usually he's the action hero, but in this one he's kind of frail and for obvious reasons because he was born with glass bones. Hence the reason why he was known as Mr. Glass. So for him to go from like, you know, this action hero to basically talking about, you know, you're tired of these mother effing snakes on this mother effing plane to just being this guy in a wheelchair where he's basically more of a psychological uh, guy. It's really well done. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, I I definitely really liked Unbreakable. Unbreakable was one of my favorites. What year did it come out? Uh, 2000, actually. Yeah. yeah. Man, he, M. Night Shyamalan had some, some killer movies back in the day. <laughs> and I believe that you're going to give us another one of those killer movies. Yeah, yeah. Let me pull up my, my other one. <laughs> I'm not doing it on my computer because I don't want us to have bad connection. Um, but okay, so the next movie by Mr. M. Night Shyamalan and uh, directed by Mr. M. Night Shyamalan, my choice was Signs. I don't know how many people have seen this one, but I really liked it. And this is with... Uh, the cast of Mel Gibson, um, Jacqueline, Jacqueline Phoenix, you know, back in the day they weren't bad people. Jacqueline Phoenix was in the last one, too. Uh, so he does, M. Night Shyamalan, I think, does have some loyalty with actors that that he likes. As we can see, he used Bruce Willis a few times. He uses Jacqueline Phoenix a few times. Like, if, if you do good for him, he'll have you in the next film. Um, but yeah, Abigail Riesland is in this when she was very, very young. And basically this movie, it's going to be hard for me to just explain it, but I can do this. We got this. So this movie is an alien movie. Um, it's one where he does sci-fi aliens instead of monsters or goats or creepy things like that. This is going to be aliens. And it's about... This family who loses their mom. Loses their mom. Oh, that, yeah. Okay, I think I remember this. So, loses their when mom. <laughs> you, you mentioned that. Loses, loses uh, their mom. I think I do remember this because this was, again, another homage that Scary Movie did. Where basically, instead yes. of... Yes, yes, they definitely did this one. <laughs> you said Mel Gibson, it was Charlie Sheen, because they needed the comedy. Yes, yes. So, it kind of, this this movie goes through this sequence. It's almost like a dream sequence of his last moment with his wife, Mel Gibson's last moments with his wife, and she gets in a, a terrible car accident where she's basically held together by a a car. She was walking and a car slams her into a tree and her body is like cut in half basically. But 
she's still able to speak. And so we go through this movie and we're getting more pieces of what she says. And then all of a sudden, like the beginning of the movie, like he's a farmer, they're on a farm and people are making these like designs in the corn. And it's like a big, you know, it's a big, like, oh, my gosh, people are doing these corn field signs, like, oh, like, this is awful, crop circles and stuff. And then it's happening all over, and they end up noticing that it's all over, and they're, they're actual, like, coordinates and stuff. And it's for a reason. People are, are, are aliens are coming, and they're aliens are creating these crop circles and that's a a thing that you know a lot of people like think that aliens do like crop circles um and so aliens start coming to earth and like seeing and like kind of testing things out that's what the idea is in this one is that they're coming to test to see if earth is a good place for them and you get little pieces of the puzzle through going back to Mel Gibson's dream sequence of you get like his brother used to be a professional or semi-pro baseball player. You're like, oh, cool. Um, Abigail Breesling, his daughter has an issue with water. Like she literally like thinks water tastes bad sometimes. So around the house, there's like, water cups everywhere because she has to go and get a new water cup like every time like they have weird issues and you're like why does this freaking matter and then like his son has asthma really bad so anytime they like are freaking out or something like he has really really bad asthma and so we get to the point where we're about to see the aliens like oh my gosh there's an alien here at their house and so it's Mel Gibson, Jacqueline Phoenix, his brother, and then the two little kids. I'm pretty sure if there was another person, then I'm totally forgetting about them. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, those are the important people of the family who we're following. Um, And, like, it's the main portion. Like, it's like, oh, my gosh, the aliens are in the house. What are they going to do? they got to defend themselves. And you kind of get the final, like, sequence of him with his wife, which she, like, She's like, I don't know her exact words because I haven't seen the movie for a while. But she basically tells him that everything, like, she just has weird random words. And you're like, like, he's not getting them. And then he's finally having this sequence back. She's like, tell Jesse, Jesse's his brother, tell Jesse to swing away, swing away. And he's like, okay, I'll tell Jesse to swing away. Like, babe, he's not in the... He's not in baseball anymore, but he thinks she's, these are her dying words. And, like, she basically tells, like, the daughter, like, it's okay that you're like this. It's okay. Just be strong. I love you. And, like, tell the son he'll get over his issues, but just accept yourself. Basically, it's something like that. Like, accept that everything is happening for a reason. And so, in this sequence where the alien comes in the house... It's attacking them, and there's just one alien, and because they're trying to kill him, and it's the one that they injured before, because these aliens have been coming back, so they have like a scorn against him, and he steals the sun, and the alien's big thing is they can infect people through like 
an airway that can infect people, and basically people die. So they stole his son, who has asthma, and they figured out that the alien's one weakness is water, and Jesse's bat is hanging in the living room with a room full of water cups. And they basically, he's like, swing away, Jesse. Oh, oh my gosh. So still. Yeah, am I, am I still? Yeah, you're good, you're good. <laughs> so the main scene is literally like Mel Gibson being like, holy cow, my wife died for a reason. She died to give me this message that when these aliens come, we will survive because of how and who we are. And so he say basically they saved the whole family because Jesse, his brother, beats the hell out of this alien with water cups and a bat. And his son, who was poisoned, he's like literally holding his son. He's like, I know he didn't breathe. He didn't breathe. He didn't breathe it in. He's fine. He didn't breathe it in. And like, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then all of a sudden, he's like, breathe, breathe, baby, breathe. And he's like, <sighs> and he's like, He's alive! Everyone's alive! And they figure out, like, just use water against the aliens, and the Earth is 75% water. So everybody survives because they figure out the Earth is not a good place for them because they, they get burned by water. So, <laughs> stupid. But it was so, like, it was great. And you're, like I said, it's slow, and you're like, ugh. Like, oh, it's this stupid scene again. We've already seen his wife dying. We get it. She's dead. But, like, each time you get a little bit more. And one thing that I think is kind of cool with M. Night Shyamalan, he's in this movie. Um, He's the guy who killed the wife. So he hit her with a car. So he he comes to the house, to the preacher's house, because, again, sorry, I'm kind of, like, jumping around a little bit, but... Mel Gibson used to be the church preacher, and he lost all faith because of what happened to his wife. Um, he's like, preacher, Eric, I'm so sorry that what I did, and he's trying to, like, make amends, and you're like, who is this guy? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the director! <laughs> but uh, it was really cool. I love this movie. I haven't seen it in forever. I was very afraid of it as a kid, because it's aliens, and I, I wasn't... I did not like aliens, but um, it's worth the watch. And all the things that, the little threadings that really connect through this movie make you fight for them. Like, you're at the end, you're like, go, Jesse, go, kill him, Jesse. Like, that's the type of movie that I like is when, like, there's a problem. It's a thriller. It's, you get into it. Yeah. So, basically, it's kind of one of those movies where... It's not as, you know, I guess heavily storyline or heavily, I guess, CGI animated as, say, Aliens was. But it's still one of those movies where it has a story that is indeed, you know, captivating. Where it does find a way to get your attention and make you realize, hey, there's extra, li- there's extraterrestrial life out there. There is life outside of Earth. And sometimes they're not always friendly. But other times it's like, hey, they're cool. They're cool. Or just... Scary movie. Nope, we're not going into that one. Um, no, it's definitely a high... Like, storyline is the best part about it. So, and I think a lot of alien movies don't doesn't have good storyline. They have, aliens are attacking, da-da-da. You're like, oh, okay. Uh, 
that's the whole plot. But this was literally a threaded plot line braided into the most exaggerated braid you can do because every little piece had a meaning. Every person that came into this film had a reason, and you were supposed to figure out why they were there. And that was the cool part, and that was the ending, was like, holy shit, so all that stuff meant something. That's awesome. Okay, so it's kind of like a thriller mystery deal where... Like, like you said, you know, you're basically watching this. You're kind of, you know, on the edge of your seats. You're kind of enjoying this. And you're also realizing, you know, oh, this is why this person's here. Okay, so there's a reason behind it. It's not one of those movies where it's like, you know, you have so many of these people coming in here. And in the end, you're just like, what was the point of them being in here in the first place? It's literally like, oh, okay. So this, you know, this character was here to provide motivation. This character was here to, you know, talk about this. Mel Gibson was here to basically pick up a bat, and hit some water in aliens' faces. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's better than being a, you know, uh, chicken and basically lying about the fact that you could fly, so. And the fact is that Chicken Run is getting a sequel. I know it's an offbeat deal, but it's one of those things where it's like, we're talking about Mel Gibson. Wonderful. Just absolutely wonderful. I guess he's coming back. He's making a comeback, um, I saw another one of his films. Uh, you know, he had a really weird time where he was pretty pretty anti-Semitic and everything. You're like, whoa, what did he just say about the Jews? <laughs> like, excuse me? Q, pass with the Christ. No, 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 no. No, that's too extreme. Like, shut this mother up. Oh, like, my. And it's one of those, like, I feel like a lot of actors, we kind of talked a little bit about this with Johnny Depp there. Some of the main actors that you really liked or like could be totally crappy people, and that sucks. They would uh, literally be dicks, basically, is what you're saying. Just She's oh. trying to keep it PG here, and I'm basically just ready to be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's like dicks or if it's like, whoa, you are not a good person. Like, <laughs> I, it's almost like, like a dick can be somebody that's like, ha, 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 you suck. And this guy is like, Oh, by the way, Jews should all die. And you're like, what? What? Did he? he <laughs> what? It's, it's that's, a, that's not a dick. That's a, that's just like an awful, awful person. Like, you are he's, a he's, he's awful person, sir. Are you? What? Did you, were you rooting for Hitler? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, what was this? What is this? He's literally... And so, like, that's just another, like, he went off the handle, and I know he had drug issues, and he got arrested for, like, beating his wife, and all this crazy stuff, and now he's coming back, and you're like, I, I don't, I'm not gonna like you, but it's like that fine line of, do I want to see stuff that looks good, and will I not support it just because a crazy guy is in it? It's, it's one of those hard things I think that a lot of people deal with. Like, oh, wow, this guy. Like, like for an example, House of Cards. A lot of people really love that series, House of Cards. And then they're like, oh, snap, Kevin Spacey molested little boys. Am I not allowed to watch that anymore? But it's, it's such a crazy thing. And it's like, well, he got fired, so he's not in it anymore. They're not making it anymore. But... Is it 
should you still watch it? Should you still support it? Should you blame the whole series for some dumb thing that one of their actors did? It's very interesting. And maybe it's another topic we need to talk about. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny you say all these things because I think this definitely does (laughs) seem to be the perfect segue for the next movie that I'm going to talk about for M. Night Shyamalan. And this is one of those movies that people said, oh, this is the movie where he's going to make his comeback. He's doing really good as a director. He's going to just, he's starting to get that mojo back. And that is the movie, The Visit. Not to be confused with the same uh, movie that came out that year. And it's a Nigerian film. It's a, I looked at that and I thought, wait, there's a Nigerian film called The Visit? What is this? Romantic comedy. Yeah, definitely not the same one M. Night Shyamalan produced. Um, basically, to kind of start off on this, uh, the poster is absolutely captivating because basically the promotional poster they had for this, it basically just almost looks like one of those things where it's like nicely knitted like you would get from a grandparent. And it says, Grandma's Rules. One, have a great time. Two, eat as much as you want. Three, don't ever leave your room after 9.30 p.m. Yeah, um, I, there's kind of one of those things where people wish that they didn't leave their rooms at 9.30. Now, first of all, I will say this, that it starts off kind of as a movie that you kind of expect. It's kind of normal, but then they transition that into a found footage kind of deal. And honestly... I'm almost to the point I've just had it with found footage deals because it's like, okay, they've done Blair Witch Project. They've done Paranormal Activity. They've done The Gallows, which honestly I had high expectations for and it let me down immensely. Then I see this movie and I'm like, oh, great, we get to watch this. Oh, boy, this is this is going to be amazing. This is going to just blow Already my expectations are pretty low. Leaving from it, it definitely exceeds my expectations like at least fivefold. I won't say tenfold because that that would be the last movie that I have on this list. But with the visit, it's one of those movies where it definitely does freak you out. It is as it as it's basically promoted, it's a found footage horror film. Two kids are basically going to meet their grandparents and they've never met their grandparents before until this moment here. So already you're thinking Okay, this could be kind of intriguing. And then you kind of see that the grandparents are not exactly normal. I mean, there's a, a grandpa goes out into the shed and nobody knows why. And basically he's telling, you know, don't go to the basement because there's mold down there. Okay. Um, the grandmother, she seems very nice, but every single time it's like she has this alone moment with... Her, our, you know, granddaughter, she basically is saying, like, oh, can you just clean the oven? Can you clean the oven? It's one of those things where it's like, am I witnessing, like, a live-action Hansel and Gretel right here? This just seems so weird. And there actually came a moment where she did kind of close it, and I'm like, oh, God, it is. It is. It is. But then she opened it, and it's like, just making sure that everything is okay. I forgot that you were in there. I'm like, oh, my God, this, oh, God, are they seriously... They're going down this route. Oh, no, 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 no. And then they find out later on uh, from the mom, who, (laughs) mother of the year, by the way, she decides to go on a vacation with her new beau after getting divorced. Um, She basically says, "Uh, that's not your grandparents. 
and basically they find out that the real grandparents have been killed and that the two that are there, you know, making, saying that they are grandparents, they're basically people that probably escaped from a mental institution. Why we say that? Well, there's a lot of random moments where we see Grandma being a little kooky and she's doing like this deal where she uh, tries to eat one of, the, one of the kids and then the grandpa basically tries to rub his feces on the kid's face and I'm literally like, oh god, I'm so uncomfortable. This is not, no, no, just just no. No, this is, my, my skin is crawling at everything that's going on with this movie. And then it's one of those things where you kind of, I look at the back of my head, I'm like, they're old people, why are they getting, okay, they're killed. I mean, yay, because they're horrible people, but at the same time, they're the elderly, so what really is accomplished here? Uh, but it has kind of a very interesting kind of heartwarming ending with a major question mark, because during this time, basically, the daughter has a sit-down interview with her mom, basically asking, you know, what happened? Why haven't you talked to, you know, basically your parents for so long? And she basically talked about, like, the last time that I talked to them, uh, I struck I struck my mom, and my dad struck me, so I basically ran off. And she ends the movie with this line of, don't hold any resentment towards your dad. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, this is kind of a weird twist, but at the same time, it's very interesting. Because also during this interview, she mentions how if she had the chance, she would actually have love to reconcile and to have a better relationship with her parents had given the chance. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, so she's talking about this dark past that she had, but she would have loved to at least had a better relationship with her parents, which is understandable. And basically telling about how don't hold any resentment towards your dad just because of one bad thing. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, this Kind of is one of those really good movies where it definitely does make your skin crawl, but the ending is one of those things that kind of is an interesting twist because it kind of has a weird, kind of heartfelt uh, deal towards it. Like, I know a lot of people are definitely hardened when they're talking to certain people where it's just like, no, I'm not talking to this person, not talking to this person. But just because they did one bad thing doesn't exactly make them a horrible person. So it's kind of one of those movies where. Like I said, it's definitely a horror. It's definitely one of those things where I'm glad I've only watched it once. But it's one of those movies where at the end you kind of watch that that footage of her and her mom doing the interview. It's like, wow, they kind of ended on a weirdly heartwarming deal. Wow. Shyamalan, you definitely surprised me. This was actually, this was actually pretty good. I... I, I, like I said, I'm only going to watch this movie once, and once was enough for me. And if somebody says, like, oh, we're going to watch a visit, I'm like, nope, I'm leaving. I'm not watching this again. <laughs> a lot of his movies, I feel like, are kind of that way. Of, All right, I saw it. <laughs> but, oh, I guess I should probably bring bring this up. So it grossed about uh, $98.5 million, and got a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it was definitely well-received. Um, and like, like I said, it was one of those movies that a lot of people looked at and think, oh, this is where M. Night Shyamalan's going to get his mojo back and everything's going to work very well. So far, so good, honestly. I mean, after this comes a really good hard hitter, but we'll get into that later. Like 10 years, you know, almost from his last 
good movie because I think my last one came out in 2000. The other one was 2002. And I think he started sucking like around 2005. So it took 10 years to get this one because this is uh, 2015. Okay, with, with Lady in the Water. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically enough, she brings in uh, uh, Bryce Dallas. What? What? Um, oh shoot, what's her name? Now I have to. I have to pull up the name again. Oh, Bryce Dallas Howard, from uh, <laughs> who would soon be known as the woman from the Jurassic World movies. And yeah, she was in the Village too. Yeah, it's crazy. It's kind she of was the one girl in the Village, and she was also Gwen Stacy in Spider Man Three. And honestly, yeah. she... But I just got, mean, like, uses his actors again. So he liked her. Yeah. <laughs> and again, Gwen Stacy, always going to be Emma Stone. She was amazing. So, sorry, yeah. Bryce, but you kind of... had a lo- You had a low bar. I'm sorry. But you appeared yeah. in Spider-Man 3. Anyway, sorry. Um, so, anything to add on that? Or are we on to your final movie? No, I, I think we're on to the final movie. All right. What do you uh, got? Obviously, I had to pick, I think, the movie that started it all, which is The Sixth Sense. And, yes, yes. I mean, it it was literally, I feel like, I, I feel like it was his breakout movie. Like, people, to this day, like, if you say, I see dead people, you, they know. Like, you're like, oh, my God, The Sixth Sense. And you're like, yeah, it is. They're like, whoa, crazy. So, um. This one, like we already spoke about, has Bruce Willis, uh, and it starts with a very intimate, crazy scene of, like, Bruce Willis coming home with his wife, and they had a great night out, and, you know, they're they're heading to the bedroom, and, and then they're like, oh, and you know that he's a doctor, Bruce Willis is a doctor, and they have a very nice house in, I believe it was in New York, Manhattan. And uh, they're about to, you know, kind of have a great time in the bedroom when somebody comes out of the bathroom with a gun. And it's one of his patients. And it's a patient that he couldn't help. Like, he, he was older, he was a little boy, and he struggled with stuff that Bruce Willis was like, I couldn't help him. And he basically, the, the guy shoots him. And then it's like, oh, ever since then, he's had a real struggle in his relationships and his practice and just everything is so much harder. And I believe it was about a year after is when we really get into the movie. Like, you, you see that scene where the boy is, like, kind of crazy, like, he's crazy, he's like, no, I can't get it to stop, you didn't help me, you didn't help me, and he's like, whoa, 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 it's okay, I'll help you, you're fine, everything's okay, and he shoots Bruce Willis, and he shoots himself in the head, and then it's like, a year later, and you're like, whoa, okay, and Bruce Willis is kind of like, basically explaining that, yeah, it's been really hard, my wife and me don't really connect anymore, and yada, yada. And finally, he gets a new patient who is very similar to the kid. Like, you find out that they have very a lot of similarities to the kid that shot him. And the kid is like, he sees things that aren't there. So he's like, okay, 
like, but it's not real. It's not real. You're fine. It's not real. He's like, but they feel real. And they seem real. And I see them like they're real. And it scares me. And, like, it's a kid who has a single mom, and he gets bullied at school, and he's really small, and just uh, not a good. And, and Bruce Willis is like, okay, I want to help this kid because I didn't get to help the last kid, and he killed himself. So I want to help this kid. So it goes through the story of this boy seeing these these things that are just horrid, like people that are dead and people that have, like, like basically kind of visit him in very, like, anxious situations. Like, for us, for the viewer, you're always, like, you hear the music and you're like, oh, gosh, a ghost is coming. <laughs> like, that's how I was, like, when I was watching it. It's like, you're like, oh, no, a ghost is here. You know a ghost is here. And, like, the kid, like, he starts breathing heavily and it's, the temperature goes down. And he's basically getting blamed for the things the ghosts do in his house. So, like, one of the ghosts, like, freaks out in the kitchen trying to find a knife. Like, and is opening everything and throwing things around. And the mom comes out and she's like, Cole, what are you doing? He's, like, he's sitting in a chair crying. And then she's like, what are you doing? What is going on? Wait, I gotta wait to see until I... Am I back? Yes, yes, you're good. (laughs) Okay, and so, like, she's, like, kind of screaming at him, but at the same time, she sees her son's, like, crying and, like, frightened. She's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And then you see behind her, she's like, you gave me these scars! A ghost is, like, cut her wrists all up with this knife that she found in his house, and he's just looking at her and, like, crying, and you're like... You as the viewer, you're like, oh my gosh, like this poor kid, this poor kid, like, ah, and it's scary. Like the ghosts, all the ghosts, they don't look scary, but the music and the loudness that they are and like, you know, the blood, like they never have like really messed up faces, but you're just like always really, I was always really afraid and I watched it recently this year and I was like, oh, it still kind of scares me, even though you know they're not. Like, they're normal. They look normal. They just, like, ah! And you're like, whoa, okay, (laughs) calm down. Um, And so finally, like, the kid, you know, gets hospitalized and stuff, and Bruce Willis goes, he's his therapist, and he's like, he's like, I need to, like, help, like, I need to let you know, like, like, what is going on with your kid? And he's like, I see dead people. Like, he's like, the things I see are dead people. He's like, I see them everywhere. Everywhere, they're always trying to talk to me. They're always coming up to me. And so Bruce Willis is, like, he didn't believe him. Then he started researching on his patient that shot him and on Cole, his new kid. And he's like, you can kind of hear things in the background of the video. He's like, oh, my gosh, what if these, like, I've always thought these kids are crazy. What if I go with it? What if they're not crazy? And so he kind of goes with Cole and is like, okay, well, why do you think they visit you? He's like, I I think they want to hurt me. He's like, have they ever hurt you? He's like, no. He's like, then maybe they want something from you, so maybe instead of running away, maybe you should listen to them. And so, like, it comes out where, like, this one girl that has been kind of visiting him, 
he's always really afraid and runs away from her. And finally, like, he sits and he talks to her and he figures out that she was murdered by her stepmom. And they, he's like, he wants to go to the funeral. He's like, I need to go to the funeral. I know something. And he's able to show a videotape, like, that the girl saved to the family and kind of call out the dad. Or not the dad, call out the stepmom. And the dad watches it, and he's like, you were poisoning my daughter? And his, her younger sister was getting sick, too. He's like, and you're poisoning my other daughter? And then, like, he, it shows that Cole is helping by listening to these people. And he's like, wow, like, I, I didn't know I could help people through, through speaking to dead people. And it's, it's getting him better. And he's like, I think once they're, they're better, they leave me. And Bruce Willis is like, wow, that's great. And he's like, maybe I should try to talk to my mom, uh, my wife again at night, or maybe I should try to do this, because he's had an issue with his wife this whole, this whole movie. And then he finally does. He tries to talk at night, like how Cole talks to the ghosts. And she's like, I just wish you never left. And he's like, baby, I'm here. I'm right here. And then... She, like, starts getting really cold. And you're like, what? And then all of a sudden, like, he's reviewing what happened that night. And he got shot, and he died. And so he's been dead the whole movie. And the reason we see him and everything he does, like, everything makes sense. The wife not responding to him. The wife taking his wedding ring and putting it somewhere different. And all this stuff that's gone on and no one else talks to him. Only the only person who's ever talked to him the whole movie was Cole and Cole can see dead people. And he figured out that he had to help Bruce Willis come to terms with him being dead and what Bruce Willis needed to do before he was off sent off was help Cole overcome what he was dealing with. Unlike what he did with the other kid who killed himself. So it was crazy. It was like, whoa, he's been dead the whole time. What? And you were just, it's just such a twist that you're like, holy shit. And it was so good. And it's still good to this day. Like, I, I can watch The Sixth Sense and still appreciate the, the twist. Like, I know the twist. And I still am like, it was just so well done that it's, it's one of the probably the one of the best thrillers that has ever come out. Jeez oh, Louise, yeah, that's that's some very very heavy stuff. It is one of the reasons why I think a lot of people say this is one of M Night Shyamalan's best works. And I think it also does have to deal with the fact that there's that major twist at the end. This is where people start realizing, oh, this is the kind of director that he's going to be. He's going to have this major twist where it's like. Oh, he's uh, he's going down that route. That that didn't happen. But honestly, you know, watch it, if I was watching it for the first time, I would be sticking the same thing that you know, like, well, he's alive. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. And then just that scene where you do see, you know, his wife is in the chair, and it's kind of like, why isn't he? Oh, that that sucks. That is. It's literally one of those things where it just kind of tears your heart up a bit, thinking, wow, so th this is like the ultimate tease for this guy. He's literally 
going through hell realizing that he can't, you know, talk to his wife anymore. He can't do that because of, obviously, his patient. But I think that, you know, during this time, he's also realizing he can do more. He can actually help more, especially with Cole. So well, he just had to do one. Like, all the ghosts that are there are there for one reason, and Cole has to figure out why. Wow. And the reason Bruce Willis was there was he needed to help Cole realize that. And that's why he stayed on Earth. Like, once they realized it, I'm, I'm not 100% sure if they show him leaving, but he does leave, and then he's able to, you know, move on. And that's kind of what all the ghosts are trying to do, is to move on. Yeah, that is, that is crazy. Whew. And it's a great movie. It's, a, it's definitely, if you have not seen that movie, it's it's worth watching, especially if you like things like that. If you like M. Night Shyamalan, you need to go see his best work, which is The Sixth Sense. And I, I think that everybody would agree, if you are an M. Night Shyamalan fan, that is his best work. And it was probably because it was his first and he can't really can't really go from, from there. Like it's it's just such a twist and you weren't expecting the twist. And so now it's like if you see an M. Night Shyamalan movie, you're kinda like, it's probably gonna be twist. Right. <laughs> so, obvi- that, so, yeah. so obviously I can't say that that's his best work because I haven't seen it yet, but it might change my mind. We'll see. Because as far as, like, best work that I think that he's done was one of the recent movies that he directed and did an absolutely amazing job. Talked about it last week, how literally me and my friend Max were basically just looking at each other throughout the movie like, what? what what's going on here? What? What? And there just comes so many moments where I'm like, I don't know whether I'm going to hate this movie or love this movie, but I'm really invested in it right now. That is the movie Split, featuring my boy James McAvoy and a special appearance by none other than himself, Bruce Willis, at the very end. So basically what the story entails is a guy by the name of Kevin Wendell Crumb, a man who's suffering from a deal called a dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder. He is basically battling these personalities that are inside of him, and unfortunately, three of which are kind of in control, and there's a fourth one at the very end who definitely does really just make this into a very thrilling movie. Um, Kevin, unfortunately, abducts three girls, and during this time uh, deals with... uh, These three girls deal with the three main... Uh, personalities that Kevin has. Uh, Dennis, Patricia, and uh, Hedwig. Literally, Dennis is kind of like, represents kind of like the creepy side, where basically he is just hoping for the touch of a woman. He's feel, And it definitely goes into a deal where he's basically being described as a guy who likes to see women, you know, dancing na- naked. It's literally one of those things like, okay, this guy's a literal flat-out creep. Um, with Patricia, she's kind of more of those... She's kind of like a classy person, but she is kind of stuck up, and she is still kind of like almost like the leader. And with Hedwig, he's almost kind of like this 
innocent kid that thinks that he is, you know, doing the right thing because he's helping out his quote-unquote friends, Patricia and Dennis. Uh, so during this time, one of the girls, Casey, befriends Hedwig. Uh, the other two girls are trying everything they can to just escape from this guy. They think that he's an absolute lunatic, but Casey kind of befriends Hedwig, one of the personalities, into trying to help find a way to get out. Uh, Hedwig is just basically thinking like, oh, I have a new friend. Uh, one thing I will absolutely love from this movie is when uh, the Hedwig character comes out and he's literally just looking at it. Casey just saying like, hey, it's okay if I kiss you. I, I wanted to kiss one of the other girls, but but they don't seem to really like me that much. And literally Casey's just kind of scared, but she's also trying to befriend, like I said, Hedwig. Hedwig and Jesse are like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. And they do like this random deal where it's not even like a kiss, it's literally like like his face is frozen, there's like no lip movement whatsoever. It's so funny. And he he follows up that he follows it up by saying the phrase, I think you might be pregnant. I literally just die. I'm literally on the ground laughing so hard, like he literally is playing a nine-year-old kid where he basically does not know any concept of sex, no concept of anything. I absolutely loved it. Um, later on during the deal, they talk a lot about this 24th character, which is the Beast, basically somebody who's going to just clean the world of everybody who has just you know wronged it and stuff like that. Um, it's absolutely crazy. And during this whole deal... Uh, Kevin is also going to a therapist where basically she's trying to help him find himself, just trying to get back to what he's trying to get. She's trying to get Kevin back because obviously, you know, she's talking to all these other characters, whether it's uh, another character by the name of Barry, uh, Dennis, Patricia, Hedwig. She's trying to basically find Kevin and bring him back. And one way, one of the ways they, they're trying to do that is to say his full name. So, during the movie, unfortunately, the therapist dies, and Casey says the full name, and we actually see a moment where Kevin actually comes out, and he's basically asking, you know, you know where am I? Who are you? Uh, this is still, like, this is still, uh, you know, like, this area in, like, 2010, right? And Casey, unfortunately, has to tell the bad news of, no, this is, this is not what you think it is. And basically, Kevin's just saying, like, well... You, I never realized what I have to do. You have to kill me in order for this to stop. And then we see, of course, a lot of these personalities, they keep coming back out. They're basically, some are basically saying, like, you know, don't do it, don't do it. It's just absolutely crazy how it works. And then we see the beast come back. And I had a hard time figuring out why this happened because this was a pivotal moment for me uh, during the movie as to why he calls KT pure. But basically... Uh, the Beast is hunting down Casey, and she ends up just taking her sweater off. And under her sweater, there are these scars from times where she was cutting herself. And I'll read you what it says here on uh, Wikipedia here. So, <clears throat> basically, um, but also there's a bit of a background in which Casey was, ha had a little bit of an experience with an uncle. I'm going to let that sink in just for a little bit, and what you expect has probably happened... It happened. They didn't show it, thank God. But it was one of those things where it was assumed. So, let's just leave it at that. Uh, so, basically what it says here. It says, the beast finds her and is about to pull the bars open to attack her. 
but sees faded scars across her body, a sign of her past emotional turmoil and sorrow of harm. Having previously declared his pants to rid the world of the untouched, those whose hearts are impure because they have never suffered in their lives, he considers Casey to be pure and spares her, disappearing from the tunnels. So literally, like I said before the show, she experiences so much more of life. And it's one of those things where it's like the beast can somehow relate to her. She can understand the turmoil and everything that she's gone through. So she considers that to be pure instead of how a lot of other people are looking at it as more damaged goods, we can call it. And of course, later on, we basically get the uh, deal where uh, the, where basically we get Dennis, Patricia, and Hedwig. They're basically trying to, they're just talking to each other, removing bullets from their body, and basically talking about how the beast is going to change the world. And this is where it gets really interesting, ladies and gentlemen, because this is part two of the trilogy. Uh, they, there's a diner scene where basically they're talking about who you know Kevin is, and even gave him the nickname The Horde because of the fact of him having so many personalities. And then somebody in that uh, diner is basically talking about, about how there was also like this crazy guy that was there. Who was, what was that name? And the person next to him says, Mr. Glass. And we see that it's David Dunn that is right next to her. So literally people are just freaking out like, oh my God, that's, that's Bruce Willis. He's from Unbreakable. And then we hear the rumors about basically getting a crossover. And now we're here at this point where it's absolutely amazing. Anyway, so... <laughs> It's it's very interesting. It definitely is like like I I enjoy that they're doing their own like idea of a superhero supervillain thriller cool movie. I think that's it's really cool. It's legitimately like I said, one of the best movies that I've seen, and one of the best works I think M Night Shyamalan should definitely be proud of. Like I said, this was one of those movies where. James McAvoy, he actually had only one month before they actually started recording to get into character, to know a lot of these things. And what I love about this movie is the fact that you definitely can tell when a new personality is going to come out. Whether it's from the music, whether it's from his body language, from his tone of voice, he finds a way to really just take that character and make it his own. He definitely finds... Oh wait, there, I remember one point where... The therapist is basically asking for Dennis, and literally Kevin is just standing there, just completely blank-faced for about, I want to say, like five, seven seconds, where she's saying, you know, can I talk to Dennis? Can I talk to Dennis? And then literally he moves his head, and he's saying, it's nice to talk to you again, doctor. And it's like, that's Dennis again. It's legitimately one of those things where it's like, you definitely can tell how... McAvoy is just taking this character and he can find a way to just shift it into something completely different. And honestly, a lot of people definitely thought like, oh, well, you can expect it from comedians like Jim Carrey or Robin Williams. James McAvoy is a serious character. He doesn't really do that many comedies. So for him to be one of the first serious actors to do that, it just blows my mind how well he's done it. And he succeeds at it very well. So... It's one of those things, again, where I'm looking at this glass trailer and I'm thinking to myself, okay, what else is he going to do? How else is he going to capitalize on this character? And obviously, you know, we're throwing in Unbreakable, so we have 
you know, basically the Beast is involved, Mr. Glass is involved, and David Dunn is involved, how are all three of them going to mesh together? I mean, who's going to be the villain? Who's going to be the hero? There's a lot of possibilities to go on with this, and M. Night Shyamalan definitely is, ca- is definitely capturing my attention in the early parts of 2019. But, alright, so, have I piqued your interest? Are you definitely interested in watching Split now? <laughs> talk about M. Night Shyamalan, yes, he does have his hits and he does have his misses, but he still creates quite memorable movies, and even though some of these twists are very subtle, some of them might be majorly obvious, it still creates for a different environment when it comes to your movie experience, because you definitely can watch a movie and expect, okay, well, obviously this person is doing this, this person is doing this. He finds a way to just take that norm and then just completely 180 it and turn it into something that you would think, wow, that actually I never really thought of it like that. Let's explore this a bit more. So definitely not going to be knocking down M. Night Shyamalan, even though some of his movies from like 2000 to 2004 were probably a little bit rough and sketchy. But he definitely does have quite a few really good movies. Definitely go watch it. All right, so... With that, we will close it with us talking a little bit about the new trailer that came out for Venom, because honestly, I saw this and I thought to myself, okay, this is, oh my lord, this is going to be, I feel like this is going to turn into like a Marvel thriller, and there's some parts of me that think this might even turn into a Marvel horror movie with the way that they are just creating Venom out to be. You definitely do get more of a feel of what Venom is doing on how he's taking control of Eddie Brock, which obviously a lot of people look at, and some people are looking at it like, well, that's not like what it was in the comics. Honestly, I'm willing to put my opinion about from the comic books aside to actually look at this perspective right here, because obviously Eddie Brock seems like he's a good person, and during the movie you definitely do see like the symbiote really starting to affect him. It affects his attitude sometimes, but it also really is one of those things where you definitely do see the ruthlessness that the symbiote has. And it's symbiote, not symbiote. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, there, I think there's just one scene in particular that definitely stands out where it's like, this could be a horror movie. Because literally, he's basically just talking to this one random guy in a gas station, and all you basically see is him just basically talking about him being Venom, he basically opens his mouth, it goes to black, 
And then basically you just see this cashier lady just stand there in horror, and then Eddie Brock just stands there, and he's just like, totally nothing, totally nothing. Real good, real good. I was like, so literally this could be one of those situations where the symbiote uses Eddie as a host, but he also still feeds off other people so that way he can still have energy, maybe. That could be the situation. That's kind of one of those things where I'm getting out of it, but I don't know. What did you get out of this trailer? Well, it it definitely looks intense. It Yeah, I think we talked about this before, that it's like, we're kind of like, how are you supposed to do a Venom movie without Spider-Man? Isn't Venom supposed to get his powers, like, from Spider-Man? Um, I don't really remember what's on Venom's chest in this. I, I don't know if I saw the spider sign. I, I don't remember. I know we see Venom's, like, chest at a point. So I think that would be something to reevaluate, see if, if there's a spider on his chest, I'm going to have a problem with it. If they're, if they're going with Venom's now part of this universe through another venue, cool. Awesome. I think, I think it, it'll be interesting. I do think, I don't think he's a hero. Uh, it sounds like he is an anti-hero, which yeah. is great. That's what we want. It it sounds like Eddie Brock doesn't hate this thing, uh, which I don't think he really ever does. He, he is kind of that on the edge of he's not a great person. And so the fact that he has this power that wants to hurt people, he's like, I don't necessarily hate it. <laughs> You're like, oh, shoot. But um, that's kind of the personality of Eddie Brock. So he's not supposed to be the, you know, Captain America character of moral values. He's a, eh, I get what I want when I want. And if it happens to align with what the cops want, okay, all right. We're all good. Otherwise, not a great guy. Um Hey, Venom looks cool. Uh, the CGI looks great. He looks really awesome. Uh, I haven't seen any spider slinging. I've seen him being able to transform his body, and like this one had like axes and stuff. So it, it, it looks really cool. It looks good. I just always have to, you know, have that red flag that this is not the Marvel universe. This is or. This is not the MCU of Disney. This is going to be the MCU of really Sony. Sony, owns. yes. Yeah, Sony owns Venom. So we just have to take it with a grain of salt. Like, I want to be excited for it, but I also know that I do not want people to be like, wait, where did, where's Spider-Man? Or wait, wait a second. Why wasn't this happy-go-lucky? Like, it's not, it's it's going to be different. It's going to be different, and I don't want anyone to throw the MCU Disney expectations at it. I would want you to throw the, what you expect out of the Spider-Mans before. That's kind of the level that I'm expecting it to be. And that's, that's where you should think of it until it surpasses you, if it does. Kind of like Wonder Woman. I don't think I talked very positively about it. Until it came out. It's like, okay, I'm not going to expect it to be awesome. I'm going to expect it to be how DC movies have been. And if it's going to be awesome, then I'm going to be excited. But if you're going to already think it's awesome, 
because the trailer was cool, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, I'm hoping that it is one of those movies uh, that is almost like Wonder Woman, where you're just like, you know, it looks awesome. I still have my skepticism, though, and it definitely, you know, you watch it within, like, maybe the first ten minutes, and it's like, okay, skepticism's good. We're good. Open mind. Let's just enjoy this movie. But we'll find out in October. It's already almost, oh, gosh, it's almost, like, two months away. That's absolutely insane. So we still have quite a bit to get through, though. October, I see. But, yeah, but it's already August now. Like, what's Oh, that yeah. It's already, like, over a half way of the new year. Jeez, Louise. Crazy. It, it felt like just yesterday we were doing the uh, Oscars, and now we, t- we, t- we, bl- we blinked and we had dreams and nightmares, and we think, okay, we're already in August. So that means the white stuff is coming. Great! Yay! Uh, I know. I'm a horrible person for mentioning the S word, but... I'm just going through reality, guys. I'm sorry. So, with that being said, I think we can call this an episode. It was absolutely amazing because we talked about M. Night Shyamalan. We talked about some of the things that are going on with theater stuff as well as Venom. And, yeah, I think we are good. So, Victory Bell, do you have any big events that are coming up or anything crazy that you'd like to talk about? <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I think, uh, I guess next week I'm going to be doing the D&D campaign again, and we'll see where my character goes. I don't know if anyone's following that, but I play D&D now, and it's gotten pretty intense. Our characters are in quite a debacle. <laughs> so, so I always, I have fun, I have a lot of fun with that. Um, so we always share it on Twitch. So if you are following it, then yeah, this Wednesday is going to be another adventure in the Underdark. All right, well, we will definitely have a link for that on our Facebook fan page, guys, so you can definitely check that out on Twitch because it sounds like an absolutely fun time. Uh, be sure to check out Victory Bell on our Facebook fan page. Be sure to check us out on our Facebook fan page as well as follow me on Twitter. And be sure to give us a like and a comment and whatever you want here on Spreaker.com. There's a lot more August to go, you guys, and we are just getting started. It's already day two of August, and there's going to be a lot more announcements, a lot more guests. Definitely do not want to miss out on that. So, for Victory Bell, I've been Nate the Epic Great. You've been listening to The Game Changer. We will talk to you guys in the next episode. We are indeed the fire. Let's start the flame, and let's start a revolution. See you guys.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.